Well, good evening. Good to see you this evening. Hey, before we get to the word tonight, and this is going to go along with the message, I wanted to share something sort of personally with you all. We're talking last week and this week about leaving a legacy. I want to introduce you to somebody, and I apologize. Many of you won't be able to see this very well, and those of you live streaming probably won't see it at all. But anyway, this is a picture of Nello Caparossi Sr. Nello was born in Montefiascone, Italy, um, and he's my grandfather. Nello Caparossi was... Uh, an accomplished chef and worked in some of the most acclaimed restaurants on the East Coast during his career. Before that, before he came over on the boat and came to Ellis Island, as many of your relatives did at one time or another, uh, he was also a hero of the Italian army in World War I. He received the highest medal of honor given to an Italian soldier by the Italian government. And I had the closest relationship growing up to this grandfather, to this grandparent. Out of the four grandparents that I had, I was as closer to him than anyone else. And so the reason I wanted to share a little bit about my grandfather tonight is because out of all my grandparents, uh, he left the biggest imprint or impression upon my life. In fact, he's been gone now 40 plus years, and he still makes an impression and still leaves an imprint on my life to this day. You have people like that in your life too. And when we think about that, God wants us to think about who am I making an imprint or impression on in my life or with my life? And what kind of footprints am I leaving for others to follow in? What kind of spiritual inspiration or impact am I making on others around me? It's what the dynamic was here between Elisha and Elijah, that before God took Elijah home, we talk a little bit about the legacy spiritually that he was leaving. And it's, to me, very healthy for us to think about that, to, in a sense, challenge ourselves with, who is it, God, that you want me to make an impression on? Who is it, God, that you want me to make an imprint on? Who is it, God, that you want me to leave footprints behind so that when you take me to glory, I'm still being used by you to inspire and motivate? Because the Bible says that that is absolutely the case. In the book of Hebrews, it says that even though Abel has been dead for centuries, he still speaks to this day. And God wants us to live in such a way that even long after we are gone and we are taken to heaven with the Lord, that our life still speaks to others, that our life still makes an impression and has an imprint upon other people's lives as they live down here on earth. So with that, would you please turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. And we're going to begin tonight in verse 
9. And we're going to go through, obviously, the time where Elijah is taken up into heaven. Remember, Elijah's name means Yahweh is God, and Elisha's name means God is salvation. And they were partners in life and in ministry. And they're iron sharpening iron. They, they had this relationship where there was mutual support and encouragement and growth and all of these things happening at the same time. And so we read here, then in verse 9, when they had crossed over the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, what can I do for you before I am taken away from you. Now, before we get to that question that Elijah poses to Elisha, go back with me to the beginning of that verse. When they had crossed over, notice they were going through things together, even crossing the Jordan River together. And one of the things that will sort of fuse relationships and partnerships is when we go through things together. It's, it's sort of like soldiers on a battlefield. Those of you that have been, obviously, in that, you, you realize it, it, it's sort of like when you're out there going through that kind of a situation, you're, you're just, your hearts are, are knit to one another. You have to rely and depend upon each other. And there's, a, there's a, just a relationship that is built there because of, the, in a sense, the fires that you go through or the challenges that you go through together, the obstacles that you go through, and the key is that you go through them together. Who is it that you're going through things together with? Who, who is it that's going through the fire with you with? That when you're under the fire or you're in the furnace, that they're there for you. And when they're in the fire and they're in the furnace, they're there for you. I think about Daniel's friends. And I think about, I, I, I'm sure that they were great friends before that fiery furnace experience, but I'm sure they were even greater friends when they came out because they went into the fire and they came out of the fire together, you see. That's the way God wants these partnerships and these friendships to work, if you will, is that we do these things together. Another thing you see about this partnership and this relationship is the selflessness of it. Notice Elijah turns to Elisha before, and he knows the Lord has given him sort of a, a prompting that soon he's going to be taken to, to glory. And so he turns to Elisha and says in verse 9, what can I do for you before I'm taken away? From you? Wow, what a question. And it's like, is there anything else that I can do for you before I go to glory? What else can I say to you? What else can I do to you? I, I, I want to do something for you, you see. And, and that's, again, the, the dynamic that's in here. When, when each partner is like wanting to do for the other, and there's a selflessness, and there's a humility that, that is gone into all this. What, what can I leave you with so that you've got something, in a sense, of me left behind, you see? And, and I love Elisha's response to that question because he didn't ask for something material. He didn't ask for something physical. He didn't ask for something temporal. He asked for something spiritual. He asked for spiritual blessing. 
It sort of reminds me of the same thing of why God was so pleased when he asked Solomon sort of a similar question. He said, Solomon, what can I do for you? And Solomon says, God, would you give me wisdom so that I can lead your people? And God, remember, said, well, because you asked for that and you didn't ask for, you know, victory over your enemies and riches and glory, human glory and all that, he said, I'll give you wisdom beyond all other people's wisdom and I'll give you those other things too, you see. Because the answer that you and I would give to a question like that really reveals our heart and our passion. And can I say then our treasure? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's really most important to you? And notice Elisha, after spending all these years with Elijah, and I'm sure he had his own, obviously, personal relationship with God too, It was all about, I want your spiritual power. I I want a greater degree of the inner spirit that you had that fueled your prophetic ministry. I want a spiritual power beyond beyond our human capabilities. That's why he says, may I receive a double portion of the prophetic spirit that energizes you. I want that inner spirit that you had. I want to be able to do things beyond what we as humans could do, just like you did, Elijah. And so you notice there in that, that as he spent time with Elijah, he saw, again, the great power in miracles that that Elijah did, and and he caught that, that hunger and that desire and that passion to be able to have that same spiritual power in his own life not to bring glory on himself, but to be able to give God the glory and to be able to continue to be used by God to sort of wipe out Baal worship in Israel and to restore proper worship to Israel. He was asking for the equipment, if you will, to fulfill his calling and his ministry. That's really what Elisha was asking for because remember, the reason that Elijah called him was that he, he was going to take over for Elijah when Elijah was taken up to heaven. He was going to continue the work that Elijah started in Israel. It reminds us of this principle. God may take his workers to glory with him, but God's work continues on. And God's always going to keep his work going with those who ha- are left behind that he hasn't taken to glory yet. So, What kind of impression or imprint then are we making on those that are going to be left behind after you and I are gone? Because the work of God needs to continue, you see, just as it did with Elijah when he was taken from Elisha. I thought to myself, I need to be more diligent in asking God for that very same thing in my own life. We need spiritual power beyond our own capabilities. We need that that inner spirit that fueled the ministry of Elijah. We need that in our own lives every day that gets us up even during years like this and and gets us up and gets us going and, and allows us to be able to live with purpose and passion in the world in spite of what's going on. That's where Elijah was because, remember, he lived during a very spiritually dark time in Israel. People were 
in mass no longer worshiping Yahweh. They were worshiping Baal. And so, as we know through the story, he felt very much all alone at times as he was out there trying to stand for, for the Lord. But it was because he was inwardly motivated. You see, we, we've all got to get to that point. It, it's great to have that external encouragement from others, and we all need it. But my goodness, external encouragement from others will only sustain us for so long. There's got to be that inner personal fire that burns within us that primarily keeps us going between us and God, which is why then we need to maintain our own personal relationship with God. That way the fire that God has lit and places in us is only enhanced by the external uh, encouragement that we get from others. Elijah replied, verse 10, that's a difficult request. Why? Because he recognized only God can grant that. I can't give you that kind of power. That only comes from God. So he basically places this directly in the Lord's hands and says, listen, if you see me taken from you, may it be so. But if you don't, it will not happen. It's up to the Lord. I can't give it to you. And that's a great principle, too, that there's things that are transferable from one human being to another. There's other things that are non-transferable. They can only come from God. We can't transfer certain things over to others. We can, again, encourage, we can inspire, we can do all those things, but there's certain things that only can come to each of us from the Lord himself, you see. Now, Elisha was inspired by Elijah's life to want that and to ask for it, to seek it, to desire it, to aspire to it, but only God could do it, you see. So verse 11 says, as they were walking along and talking, Suddenly, a fiery chariot pulled by fiery horses appeared. They went between Elijah and Elisha, and Elijah went up to heaven in a windstorm. Let's talk about a couple of things. First of all, let's go back to the beginning, something that could be easily passed over, but so important, especially when you're talking about these kind of partnerships, relationships, and friendships that every once in a while we have in our earthly life. Notice it's not always about ministry. It's just as important that these type of partnerships just sometimes just do life together. And so notice the beginning of verse 11. What were they doing? They were just walking and talking. They were just walking and talking. That's necessary too at times. Who is it that you have in your life that you can just sort of, in a sense, walk through life with and just have some good conversation with, you see. Share each other's hearts, share each other's burdens, pray for one another, all that. It's, it's just precious when we have people like that in our life. That's who they were. They didn't just do prophetic ministry together. They did life together, and they walked along and talked. Then the word suddenly. There's an important word. Why? because it speaks about how quickly our life can change, you see. 
how if God wants to intervene in a dramatic way, that things can shift in a second. And you and I, yes, we, we can know that, but it, it really does take sort of a disciplined heart to be able to live with that every day, just saying, God, let me be in the moment. Let me appreciate what I have right here and now and not get so far focused that I'm not able to soak up all that you have for me right now because I have no promise of tomorrow. James even says none of us should boast about tomorrow because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Jesus even said, don't worry about the things that may come. Those things about the future will take care of themselves in time. Live for the moment. And boy, we have a hard time sometimes with that because we are so oriented to what's the next thing coming that sometimes we miss the people right in front of us and what God has for us right in front of us at the moment. That's important to know. The other thing is, obviously, the, the frailty, if you will, of life and how at any moment we could be one second on earth and the next second we could be seeing Jesus in glory. It could happen that quickly. My grandmother went that quickly. They said she was probably dead before her body hit the floor. My mother went that way. It happens, you see. Suddenly, things can happen. Good things, too. We, we, we could be on a, you know, very downward trajectory, and all of a sudden, God just divinely intervenes, and all of a sudden, everything changes in a moment, because that's what God can do. He could take something that looks very dire and drastic, and he can turn it around real quickly. You and I have to live with that kind of, of expectation and also that kind of hope that suddenly with God, things can change. The fiery chariot and the fiery horses remind us of God's strong spiritual presence. God has an invisible army, and God can dispense that invisible army into the visible world with us anytime he wants to. You see, I believe that they are actually right outside of our physical vision. I don't think they're very far away at all. I think that most of the time they're just hidden, but they're right there. Let me give you an example of that from the very same book. Many of you know where I'm going. Just keep your finger there and turn over to 2 Kings chapter 6. Later on in Elisha's ministry, Elisha has stirred up the king of Syria, and the king of Syria sends a massive army against Elisha. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 15 of 2 Kings chapter 6. The prophet's attendant got up early in the morning. His name was Gehazi. 
When he went outside, there was an army surrounding the city along with horses and chariots. And so he says to Elisha, oh, no, my master, what will we do? And really, can you blame him? There's two of them, and there's a whole army of Syrians surrounding them. Two against, what, thousands? Not very good odds, right? I love Elisha's response, verse 16. Don't be afraid, for our side outnumbers them. And I'm sure Gehazi's like, has my master been, you know, nipping a little bit or what, what's going on, Elijah? Are you feeling okay? I'm looking around and all I'm seeing is you and me and this Syrian army. Next verse, verse 17. Then Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes so he can see. We're going to talk about creating spiritual vision in our lives on Sunday. That's exactly what was happening here. Elisha was praying that his servant would have spiritual vision, not just physical vision. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw that the hill was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God had an army around his servants, and nothing was going to happen to them because that invisible army was going to be made visible and was going to turn back the Syrian army. If you've ever read stories from missionaries, you may have read the same kind of story that I've read about in times past missionaries have been in these foreign countries, in these desolate places where you know, they, they've literally been attacked by maybe a tribe or something. And the tribe comes up to where they're staying, and all of a sudden they would see them, like, retreat back into the forest or back into the, the jungles. And later on down the road, I'm cutting out a lot to condense the story, some of the tribal members got saved, and they began to be able to communicate with each other. And as they communicated with some of the tribal members, they realized that they asked them about that night that they were going to come and kill them. And what happened? Why did you turn back? And they relayed, well, when we got close to where you were staying, there was an army of like angelic beings surrounding your place. And there was no way we were going to even attempt to go through that. So we cut and run. See, God is very capable of bringing his invisible army in and protecting us at any time. I believe with all my heart that God has an invisible army of horses and chariots that surround this building and protects it. I believe God has an invisible army of horses and chariots around your homes and your lives as you and I go. And all God has to do is say the word if he wants to surround us, you see. So back to 2 Kings chapter 2. God is sending his invisible army into the visible world to retrieve Elijah, bring him home. And the Bible says they went these horses and chariots, between Elijah and Elisha. He needed to separate these two guys. Why? Because they weren't ever going to separate on their own. 
Remember, Elisha said, I'm, I'm not going to leave you. And the only way Elisha and Elijah was going to be separated was by an act of God. You have relationships like that in your life where the only thing that's going to separate you is one of you is going to heaven, an act of God. Anything else, you're going to be together with that person. But the other thing is this. Yes, when one of us is taken to glory and we leave others behind, that separation is only temporary. Because those of us that go ahead, you're eventually going to come up too. And we're never going to be separated or divided again, and we're going to spend eternity with each other, worshiping the Lord and serving him throughout eternity. So whatever persons you have up there in heaven now, know that you're going to join them one day real soon. And when you go, those that you leave behind are going to join you one day real soon as well. See, I, I believe that heaven is such a place that those that go there, the time that passes seems like nothing to them before those that are left behind come and join them. And then the Bible says in verse 11, he went up to heaven in a windstorm. Again, sort of like he lived his life, that's the way he went. But notice something here. Let's not miss this. Elijah went to heaven without dying. Elijah is one of only two people in the Bible that it is said they never died and went to heaven. Enoch, Genesis 5, 24. Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him. And we don't know how God took Enoch. We know how God took Elijah. But God is showing that I can just snatch people off the earth and take them up to heaven. So then that reminds us that there's going to be way more than two people one day that go to heaven without dying. And that's those Christians that are alive when Jesus comes back at the rapture. Because Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, then we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. You see, there's a generation of Christians that will never experience physical death. Those that are alive when Jesus comes back. And God, in a sense, has already given evidence that he works that way every once in a while. And again, God can't be put in a box. God can work however he wants to. Most of the time, we do go to heaven through death. That's the gateway for most of us. But that doesn't mean everybody's going to go to heaven through death. God wants to snatch some of us up to heaven without dying. That's God's prerogative. He can do whatever he wants. And he showed that with Enoch and with Elijah. Verse 12. While Elisha was watching, he was crying out, My father, my father. It is simply a term of respect and honor that Elisha had for Elijah. And then he says this. And he's using this as figurative language about his friend Elijah. He says, the chariot and horsemen of Israel. That's a high compliment that Elisha is paying to Elijah. Why? Because he's basically saying, this man was a great spiritual warrior. 
He was an army of one while he was here on earth. He was on the battlefield, and he was manifesting the, the power of our almighty God, and God's power flowed through his life. What a testimony. What a legacy. What footprints to leave behind. So much so that when Elijah turns to Elisha and says, what can I do for you before God takes me up to glory? He says, I want a double portion of that kind of spirit. Your life has inspired me. It is interesting that in the Bible, at least, it is recorded that Elisha did exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah. So maybe that has something to do with the double portion, you know? I don't know. But he was a man of, as we're going to see, of spiritual power as well. When we're taken up to heaven one day, what are we going to leave behind? What will those who are left behind after we're taken to heaven say about us? What will be our testimony? What will be the epitaph on our memorial headstone or whatever? What will they say about us at our memorial service? What kind of spiritual footprints will I leave behind for others to follow in? What kind of impression am I going to leave? These are all the things that you and I need to consider when we come to a passage like this. Because one day, unless we are the generation that is alive when Jesus comes at the rapture, one day God's going to take us to heaven too. What kind of legacy are we going to leave behind? The Bible then says in verse 12, then he could no longer see him. He grabbed his clothes and tore them in two. It is a sign of grief or an expression of mourning at the personal loss of his friend. And you and I get that. There are certain people that when we're separated from them, it's going to be a tremendous personal loss to us. And that's how Elisha felt. He was grieving. But then notice, he picked up Elijah's cloak which had fallen off of him and went back and stood on the shore of the Jordan. Now, besides the fact that picking up this cloak was sort of an expression of, okay, I'm, I'm going to continue what Elijah started. I'm going to fulfill my calling as a prophet of God. There's another principle here that I want to just mention for a second, and that is the fact that he picked it up. He took it into his hands, what was lying there. And I, I don't necessarily want to just apply this to, to ministry, but I, I, I want to pause here to, to take a moment to say, is there something, anything that God has been moving upon me to pick up, to take into my hands? Maybe it is something that someone else has laid down or laid aside Maybe because they're no longer here. Maybe it's because they no longer want to do it. Or maybe it's just something that's been lying around for quite a while and it's really been nobody's. Nobody's owned it. Nobody's grabbed a hold of it. But God has been working on you to come along and say, I'm picking that up. I'm taking that. That's now mine. And I only 
ask you to consider that if God is the one that's leading you to pick it up. Don't ever pick up something that is lying down that you alone want to pick up that you don't feel God's leading you to do it or that you're being pressured by someone else to pick it up and God's not leading you to do it. Because that goes back to tying into what Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And sometimes even we well-meaning Christians, because we want to, you know, not see things lying around and, and we don't want to, you know, see gaps and, and see things happen that we take on then too much. And then that comes back to then the whole idea of weighing us down and burdensome and all that because we picked up a pack that God never meant for us to pick up. But there are times where there's a pack lying somewhere and God says, yep, Jeff, I want you to take that on. Pick that up. And it might just be for a day. It might just be for a week or a month or a year. It might be for several years. That's up to God. Is there something God wants you and I to pick up and take for ourselves. And then he took the cloak, verse 14, that had fallen off Elijah, and he hit or struck the water with it and said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Why did he ask that question? Because he wanted to see. Okay, God, I saw you do miracles and miraculous things and great things and powerful things through Elijah. Are you out there? Are you going to do the same thing through me? Oh, yeah, because when it hit the water, notice the water divided or split in two, and Elisha was able to cross over miraculously. I love so many things about our God, right? One of the things I love about our God is he's a God of affirmation and assurance. Because Elisha was just wondering, God, do I have that double portion? Are you going to work through me and allow me to do the, some of the things and maybe even greater things than, than my friend Elijah did? Yeah. Yeah, and God confirmed that. God affirmed that. God gave him assurance. That's who our God is. Sometimes even those of us who really you know, want to do what God wants us to do, Sometimes we grope and have a hard time figuring that out. Our heart is, God, I, I just want to do what you want me to do. But sometimes even in that, it's like, I think I'm on the right track, God, but I'm not sure. And then God comes along, and God gives us that reassurance. That, yep, you're good. And man, there's nothing like that. Like, okay, God, good. I got it right, right? That's so important, and God does that continually. God has done that in my life over and over and over again because he wants us to know, yes, I see what you're doing. Yes, you're on the right track. Yes, you got my message. It doesn't always work that way, but God is right there to assure us and affirm us when we need that assurance and affirmation that we're headed down the right path. Well, I don't want to take too long, but really that rest of the passage is members of the prophetic guild, these young men that were studying for the ministry are like, 
Elisha, we need to go out and get his body. See, because to the Jew, they had no problem thinking that, okay, God took Elijah's spirit to heaven, but somehow his body had to drop somewhere, right, out there. And so we need to honor that, and we need to have, you know, give our, our great prophet a, a proper burial. And Elisha's like, he's not there. God took the whole guy up. He didn't just take his spirit. He took his body too. But the Bible says they basically wore him down, and he got so, you know, perplexed. And then he started to question himself. Well, maybe I didn't see what I thought I saw, which we can do that too. And second-guessing ourselves that he says, go. And then they come back because they said, we couldn't find his body anywhere. He says, oh, I knew you wouldn't because I saw what I saw. <laughs> but that's a good reminder too because sometimes the things that we experience of God, when others begin to sort of question it, we can begin to second-guess ourselves. And yet, just like us sometimes, Elijah had to come back and say, no, I really did experience that. I really did see that. God really did do that. He really did take my friend Elijah up to heaven with those horses and that fiery chariot. Second Kings is all about legacy. What are we leaving behind in the lives of those around us? What kind of spiritual footprints are we laying down for others to walk in? What kind of impression or imprint am I making on those around us? That's something we need to be mindful of. Because at the end of the day, isn't that what it's all about? God didn't leave us here after we were saved to just do whatever we want. He left us here so that we could make an impact and make a difference in this world, in other people's lives. And you see that through the partnership of Elijah and Elisha. And God wants to see that in our lives Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us purpose every day, for realizing, God, on this earth that you can use each of our lives to make a difference in this world, that our life and how we live it and what we do with the time that we have, God, is so important. And that, God, when we realize that our lives on this earth are short, that things can happen very suddenly, and, Lord, we could all be taken up to glory in a heartbeat, God, may we live for what matters most. May you teach us, as the psalmist says, to, to number our days and, and to realize our own mortality so that we can live for what matters most. What will those people say of us when God takes us home? What kind of impression or imprint will our lives make? And God, may you also use our church corporately to be making an impression and an imprint on this community right here and in so many areas. For those that watch, Lord, from all over the place, God, may you use us to leave those spiritual footprints for others to walk in when you take us home to glory. God, inspire us, motivate us, 
Give us that fire, Lord, inside of us that will burn until Jesus comes or until we see you face to face. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you for being here. We'll see you next week.